Hello and welcome to The Leaderverse with your hosts, Drew Lee, Lucas Sheradin, and me, Jesse Button. It is a special conversation today, y'all. We have leadership lessons from the one and only Bruce, the Great Dane. I can't wait for you to hear. And also stay tuned because Coach Drew takes on the one and only Zig Ziglar. That's right. He went there. We're so excited for you to hear today's conversation. Welcome to the Leaderverse. Every evening I go home and I go for a walk, jog, whatever. If Bobby goes with me, it's a walk for 45 minutes. And we always take our dog, big old Bruce, Great Dane. And every, every day he's excited to go. And every day it's like the first time he's been on the same exact, I've got 10 acres. So sometimes I literally just walk around my 10 acres, which is boring as heck. Every time it's like the first time for that dog. And I'm like, I want to be like my dog. It's like, he's experiencing it for the first time. And it's, it's really grounded me. It's like, gosh, I, I choose to be joyful that I'm experiencing life every day as the first time. Dogs, dogs teach uh, humans about attitude. Yeah, totally. Yeah, attitude, loyalty, <laughs> um, gratitude. You know, and and you know they teach they teach they teach people how to behave in a really unique way because shame is the lowest level of energy. If you look at it on a spectrum, if you could collect a, if you could hook an electro. Uh, electrometer or, or what, what do they call it the the thing that that wires and tells you whether a line is hot or not if they could connect that to an, an energy or an emotion you'd find shame has the lowest emotional field that there is and when a dog is shamed it like it drops to its lowest point it slinks its belly it crawls on the floor it, it's you know it lowers its head it puts its ears back and one measure of encouragement and it's the exact opposite. The tail wags, the tongue's out, you know, instant. Ha- and it's just like, how, you know, why don't we treat each other that way or be higher or more aware when we're not treating each other the best that we could? You think about that as a, as a leader is if if we could develop that. And I love what Brittany Brown has done in her research on shame. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I think we're the only creatures on the planet who still f- struggle with shame and regret from events that happened 10, 20, 30 years ago. Well, what, what would leadership, I, and honestly, I'm reading a book right now about the emerging leader uh, as I prepare to, to write my own. And one of the things that I think is fascinating in, in that is the command and control, top down, shame, uh, cut the top bottom 10%, you know, those, those type of mindsets work really marvelously in our previous generations. I think that uh, the illustration was used, our leadership has evolved over the last century, really from hands to head to heart. That in the industrial age, it was all about hands, what you could do and what you could manufacture. And, and it's about doing in a product that you actually tangibly produced. And then it became head where it was like, here's standards, you hit it or I cut you or, you know, and uh, nobody gets to know the leader. Nobody gets to inside the leader. Now it's heart where it's collaboration and that the leader is constantly learning. The leader is constantly involving. The leader does not know everything and is authentic. I wonder if we can take leadership lessons from my great Dane, how much more powerful we'd be if we just take shame out of the equation of everything that there's no shame on you. You made a decision. It was, didn't have good consequences. Didn't have bad consequences. It doesn't matter. Take the shame off of you. Now, what do you choose to do? I think the only reason why, uh, why an employee 
would ever lie is because of shame. The only reason why I would deceive you is because of shame. So what if we took shame out of it? Out of the like, I just literally went to a group of employees uh, who are in the office that I'm sitting in that did not have a month where we hit standards. Went down and said, "Man, I love this team. I think you guys are awesome." And what we just did is completely unacceptable. So let's figure out how to not do that ever again. No shame. Yeah, yeah. because well, they don't look at it as it's a lesson. We just learned what didn't work. There you go. They they move into a a unresourceful energetic state of all right let's just roll up a newspaper newspaper and smack ourselves. like if there's nobody around you humans are great at doing that like we don't even need to be taught how to shame ourselves. we just grab a newspaper roll it up and emotionally smack ourselves in the nose no bad bad human because i have a built-in shock collar drew it's it's built-in shock collar you know. <laughs> funny story about one of those I wanted to see what the level of pain was. Oh my gosh. We, we used to have a we used to have a dog that actually would bark and he was a he was a big dog. So he had just a monsterful bark. And we moved into a small community and we bought a shot collar. And I didn't I, I didn't have the heart to put it on him. Um and then one evening he just barked, you know, really loud. So I was like, all right, we're gonna do this. Enough is enough. Put the shot collar on him. First time he barked, all I heard is this deep cry. <laughs> And I was like, okay, well, it can't hurt that bad. So I took it off and I, and I put it to my throat. Yes, I actually did this. And uh, my wife will attest, she was there. And, and, and I was like, woof, nothing. So I did my loudest bark that I could. <gasps> Next thing I know, I was like almost on the floor. I was like, all right, well, this is going back to Petco tomorrow. Yeah, so I, the shot colors are painful. Just, just in case everyone, anyone listening ever wanted to know that, don't do that. Yeah. There you go. That's yes. worth the podcast. But I, I've been thinking a lot about this, that with shame and, and when we're not present, it's, it's, I think what we're attempting to do is we're trying to control an uncontrollable. And one of the lessons that we're learning right now, or at least I'm thinking about a lot is control, like stress is created when I try to control an uncontrollable. And I think where our minds tend to go, Jesse, is an uncontrollable other person's reactions. other And those are all true. But an, another uncontrollable is what I did yesterday. I can't control what I did yesterday. I can't, and that's where regret and shame come in. And anxiety comes in when I try to control the future. So if I can learn how to stay present, then I'm actually controlling a controllable. And as a leader, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm on a big kick about helping leaders. And I'm, I'm thankful we're part of an organization that's talking about leadership an awful lot because it is a... It is a missing conversation other than the books that have been written. I don't know. I mean, that's why the leaderverse exists is I think it's key for every leader listening, control the controllables and two uncontrollables are what you did yesterday, what you did this morning before you listened to this podcast and what you're going to do tomorrow. So if I can be control the controllable, which is right now. So the only thing that exists right now is that we're having a conversation about leadership. So be completely present. And I, and that's one thing I love about my dog, uh, Bruce, lessons from Bruce. I should write a little like vignette from, uh, you know, on that. But one of the things is he is completely present. So if he wants a treat, that's all he wants. He's not thinking about the treat he had yesterday or the day before he wants a treat now. And if he wants to be, uh, go on a walk and you can't say that word at our, you can't, there are some words you can't say around Bruce. You can't say walk. Uh, we started saying, we started saying, do you want to go on a stroll? And he started picking up that that also means that we try to spell it. He's figured that out. It's like that dog knows every rendition of art, but he's so present. 
no wonder and he goes outside and he sees a rabbit and he's completely present to a rabbit and so i'm learning a lot about that that control the controllable and that begins with be present to what's happening right now not what's going to happen like i've got a big meeting here in a couple of hours and i'm tempted to look at my screen even during this conversation like i, I need to prepare for this meeting man i tell you what that is a that is a recipe for burnout. That is a recipe for panic attacks, and that is a recipe to completely shut down as a leader. Yeah, there's that the secret. So Bruce, the Great Dane, has. The oh, my wife right is going to love this episode because it, it, <laughs> the thumbnail needs to include this. You know, dark eye, blue eyed Harlequin, black and white uh, Great Dane. My wife is going to love this conversation. He's got it figured out though. There's um there is peace in the current moment only right like by him being present all the time that's where he gets his positive attitude from i'm certain of it he's got it yeah yeah anyway <laughs> I, i'm thinking an awful lot about that drew as, as we coach as we help as we we resource i'm betting in coaching one of your ways to help people not abdicate their power is to bring them back to present because pity doesn't make anyone powerful and I don't feel sorry for what you did and that the decision that you made didn't give you the results you wanted. Yeah. I'm sorry that the market may have shifted on us a little bit. I'm sorry that a buyer's agent walked out of your real estate team. I'm sorry that you're, you lost money. That happened. Now, be present. What are you going to do right now? What are your thoughts are you going to think right now as you relate to your past? So it's not, you're, you're not attempting to control it uncontrollable because gosh, I don't know about you guys. There, there are instances in my leadership journey where I look back and I'm like, no, don't do that. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, that was a colossally stupid statement you made from it on a stage in front of 10,000 people. Or, <laughs> oh my gosh, why did you put that on our Facebook? You can retract it a little bit, but it's like a little bit. Um, but it's like, wow, there's so many things that I did. And that's all wasted energy. It's what did I learn? And how is that going to affect me today? Let's stop right there. That's the first question. It's not what are you going to do about it, which oh. is where actually most people go. If anyone that's coached coaches with me or ever coached with me, then you already know usually the question I'll ask, what'd you learn? Yeah. Because if you don't stop long enough and you go right into the doing piece or your reaction piece or what are you going to do about it, then so often you'll miss the learning lesson which will doom do you doom you to repeat the lesson. You'll do it again. And, you, and then you'll and you'll do the same thing. Your response is like, I know better. This has happened before. This is this is twice now, or this is three times now. You know what? I'll I'll just never hire anybody again. Yeah. No. What'd you learn? Yeah. What'd you learn from this experience? What will you take away now with that level of reflection? What will you do? But if you look at most people, especially high achievers, one of the biggest things that they're guilty of today is having no white space, thinking time, reflective time, or building in when necessary, when things happen. It's like, well, I just don't have the time. Well, you don't not have the time either, because how many, how many times can you afford to make this same error of judgment, mistake, bad hire, you know? How do you correct it moving forward so it doesn't happen again? I mean, Keith Cunningham said brilliantly, if you look back in your life, most of the worst financial decisions weren't caused 
by a lack of new or better ideas. We don't need to do more smart things. We need to do fewer dumb things. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, if you add up the three dumbest things you've done with a financial consequence and you could have those back, where would you be today? That's so good. That's a great yeah. question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I, and I think about that too. What you just said spurs on a thought is like mistakes are not, first of all, action points, because I think when we focus on the action of the mistake, we're doomed to repeat it versus let me learn from it. So it's, you make a mistake and go to thinking, what did you learn from it? And then make a decision. You might say, I never want to hire another buyer's agent again on a real estate team, but make that a decision, not because you failed at it, but because you decide I'm not doing that anymore. I, I just don't choose not to do that. Instead of I suck at that because we could get good at anything. You could get good at hiring people or training people if you if you so choose. I think that a lot of people, Jesse, are living by, by their programming. They're li living on autopilot. They're not making decisions of what they want. They're making decisions of, oh, I made a mistake that hurt. And because I don't like to hurt, my autopilot kicks in and says, exactly. I'm not a good real estate agent. I can't build a team. I can't lead people. And now I'm not even making a decision whether I want to lead or not. My autopilot's doing and my subconscious is, is making the decision because it's to Drew's point. I'm reacting, which is to do the act again. I'm not thinking and responding. Exactly right. Exactly right. Thank you, Bruce. Lessons brought to you by Bruce, sponsored by Kibble. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be expecting a royalty check. Even last yeah. night as I was as I was walking with him, I'm like, I found myself almost envious. That dog is so present. He sees another dog, and guess what? It's his buddy, his buddy Peak, around the corner on a gravel road. And we walk by Peak's house, and here's Peak going on a walk with us, and they're they're playing like they've never seen each other before. Uh, we go by the same four or five cows off in a field in a pasture. And Bruce does the same thing he does every single time. It's like he's never seen a cow before. It's the exact same cow we saw yesterday. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Why am I getting irritated? I'm getting irritated because he's got something I don't have. Right? Uh, what? <laughs> Jesse, think about this. If you think about, I can imagine you, Jesse, mm -hmm. uh, you on Christmas morning as a kid, as a seven, eight, nine-year-old, under the tree, presents. How present were you, and how excited were you? Yeah, that's the that's the that's the best day of the year. Mm -hmm. What if we approached life every day like it's Christmas, where it's as a child, not not when we've gone through years and years of Christmas being disappointing, hard, sad, and watch too many Lifetime movies, right? Or the 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 Hallmark Channel, where it's you know the high school romance breaks up and one person goes to the big city and comes back to the small town and finds the love of their life and they're reunited, which is the same movie repackaged about seventeen times, and then it has to snow on Christmas, right? Yeah. What, but what if every day really was Christmas? What if every day we approached it with that excitement and that, right? I, I, have, I, think, a, I have a goal. I want to be the most grateful person that you know. And, I, and I'll say that to everybody. That's my, that's, that's like, that's a life goal of mine. And I think that might be it. So if there's how to find gratitude in, you know, the crap that life throws at you is tough, but there's lessons in that that are beautiful. I think that's the start of the answer. Um, not to get too philosophical or deep, but like the answer is gratitude. Yeah. Well, that puts me back into to now. Mm -hmm. Right. Right now, I can choose gratitude for all things. I 
can be thankful in all things, right? Not for all things, but in all things. I'm not grateful for somebody's suffering, but I'd be grateful in somebody's suffering. I had somebody close to me last night that spent the night last night in the ER. I'm not grateful they went to the ER, but I'm grateful in the midst of them being in the ER. Mm-hmm. And, right? Does that and that yeah. honestly, I think we're grateful that there is an ER. We're grateful that there's doctors. We're grateful that he's getting care. Like, yes, we were grateful in mm-hmm. it. I get that. Yeah. And that's a that's a big difference. So anyway, uh, my my leadership lessons from from my great Dane Bruce. I one of the most popular phraseologies, quotes you hear in leadership in business is if I help enough other people get what they want, I can have everything that I want. And I think that is the, one of the most misunderstood quotes that often when applied in business have a detrimental impact. So not to dispute the words of the great Zig Ziglar, but let's clarify perhaps the meaning behind some of those words so they're less interpretive. Because I got a question for 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 Lucas, for Jesse, how do you help everyone get what they want so you can get what you want when the people might have conflicting goals with one another? The people you hire, for example, may not have the same goals that you have. They may not have the same care of the customer that you have. So how do you help people that may conflict with one another all get what they want at the same time. Well, and I think that that's where the misquote comes in because Zig didn't say if you help everyone. He said, if you help enough people get what they want, you'll get what you want. And so it's like, I think the secret to helping enough people get what they want is make sure you're in front of the right types of people who want what you want, (laughs) who who want the same things. And here's the secret of leadership. Have an organization filled with people who want what you want as bad as you want it and are willing to go get it, period. Because then I don't have to motivate, because I, this is just my hallucination, Jesse, and you're the, you're the one who reads psychology books, so I don't have to, so you could correct me if I'm wrong. I think extrinsic motivation is a farce. I think extrinsic motivation is temporary. It's a carrot that dangles. I think intrinsic motivation, where we're, uh, internal motivations versus an external motivation. Mm-hmm. I think people do what they do because they want to do what they do. And so as a leader, I have to surround myself with people who want intrinsically the same things that I want as bad as I want. Now they may not be aware and I have to help wake them up to it. And I have to help them remove some of the limitation and the garbage thinking. But I, I, I question that question, the extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. I think everybody's intrinsically motivated. I can't motivate you. So I need an organization, Drew of enough people who want what I want, and then I'm going to help them get what they want, which happens to be what I want. And so like you just went to customer service. Like if I have people, if I have people who don't want excellence of customer service and they don't want to provide honor and respect to people, then we're not in alignment. I can't motivate you to do that. So I think the secret of leadership is surround yourself with people who want to climb the same mountain you want to climb. Amen. That's such a great statement that aligns with be clear who your end customer really is. Be clear on who you're working to serve slash when I help enough people. Let's just say you're in sales. If you help enough of your customer, your end customer, your user base, get what they want, you solve a problem for them, you solve a problem for enough of them, 
then you can have everything you want. You can build a business that funds, because the purpose of a business is to make a profit. Make no mistake about that. The right. purpose of a business is to make a profit. If you're if you're in business and you're not making a profit, you're called a nonprofit. Okay. And if you're going to be a nonprofit, that's great. But then go do amazing things in the world and go change lives that wouldn't have been changed otherwise if you hadn't started your nonprofit. But if, if you're going to run a business, be a profitable business because you're going to make the biggest impact. And as a profitable business, the purpose of profit is to fund a life, a big life. So if you help enough of your customer get what they want and you hire people who want to help the customer get what they want, then and only then can you get everything that you want. The moment you hire somebody and you lose focus on who it is that you're attempting to really help and it starts becoming the employee or it starts becoming the hire that you've made and now I want to help that person get everything that they want, keep in mind, you've lost the target. It's now moved. Because what they want may not go in alignment with the end game, the end user, the end customer. It actually may conflict. What do you think, Jesse? Yeah, I was just thinking of an example of um, of a hire um, or of a leader, myself as a leader, and hiring people and taking on the responsibility of caring for their future and therefore their family's future, right? Like that's the big, scary hire. And so that's such a good point, losing sight of the goal, um, losing sight of the goal because you're so focused on what it is on serving the people that you hire. Um, yes. that's a, yeah, that's a really, really good point. Because if you're, let's just say your goal is to help, you know, let's just say I'll use the real estate business as a specific example. If your goal is to help 300 families with their real estate needs this year, this big goal, it's a, that's, a, that's a big business. And your goal is to help 300 families, serve 300 families, help 300 people with their real estate needs. Then you've got to surround yourself with people who want to serve a portion of those 300 people. And if you have in your, yourself in business and they someone says, well, I don't know if that's really important to me. I don't know if I really want to serve that many people. I, I, I don't really, I don't know if I enjoy this that much. I feel like maybe I would do less. I, I really wanted to help 40 families as part of my goal and create 40 opportunities for people to buy or sell and build wealth. But I don't know if that's important to me anymore. That's a lot of hard work. I think I'd only like to help maybe 15 people. Now, if you lose sight and you think you're serving them and I help them get what they want, you've, you're wrong. You're going down the wrong path. You are now moving away from the big site and the end customer who's really important is we're not going to help 300 families because now I've got somebody who actually has a conflicting goal in, internally. It doesn't make the goal wrong. It doesn't make it inferior. It just means all of a sudden, instantly, I don't have enough people to serve the 300 that I need. I've got to go find more people that want to serve more. Yeah. Great point. And this could apply in any kind of profession, any kind of sales. If you got, if you got employees that work and you're, you're an executive at Microsoft and you've got people in your midst that don't believe Microsoft is the best product, even though Apple is, and we all know it. But you know, if you have people that don't believe that Microsoft is the best product, they probably shouldn't be there. Because mm -hmm. you may, if you work to serve them, you'll miss the end game, which is the customer, whatever business that is in. So, you know, let's, let's look at Ford, for example, when the Ford president or the CEO, Jim Farley was appointed, 
And he came in as the new CEO. Ford was on the board. They were they were bordering a bankruptcy. And he drove through the parking lot, specifically through the parking garage. And you know what he paid attention to? Cars. Cars. You're exactly right. He was looking for how many of the employees and people that work here actually believe in the product we sell here. And you know what he saw? Mercedes, Lexus, Toyotas, Chevys. He saw Fords. But that was one of the first pivotal moments of his leadership journey is we're going to either buy what we sell, believe what we sell, or maybe take some people and create opportunities for them in the workplace to go be part of those other companies that they believe more in. Because how do you believe in your customer base is going to get the very best product when you have people around you not believing it's the best product? I think Zig Ziglar's statement of, you know, help enough people get what you want. And what Lucas, you said it, but it's not everyone. You can't help everyone because they may not all want the same thing. I think that's the leadership dilemma is because I think most leaders I know have aspirations of changing the world, of helping humanity. Not everyone wants the same thing you want. And I think that one of the things that even like our earlier conversation about being present I need to be really in tune with what it is I desire, what it is I want, because I don't have to want what you want. And we need to respect each other's different desires, different wants, and be okay with the fact that I'm going to build a team around me who wants what I want. So every day it's not hiring anybody, it's hiring the right body. <laughs> you know, it's do you want what I want as bad as I want it? And if you do, I'll give you a path and a plan. Let's go. I, I, I can imagine, Drew, you probably as a as a coach will coach people who will say, I want to make a million dollars because that seems to be sexy or I want to, a new, every new real estate agent wants to make $100,000. But the truth is behavior tells you what you want. If you don't want to do what you need to do to get that, then what do you really want? Do you want comfort? Do you want to escape? Do you want Netflix more than you want to lead generate? Do you want, um, you know, the truth is, is any industry uh, where you accomplish greatness, you're going to go through a crucible. You're going to go through challenges. You're going to go through defining moments. And I think most people want, when they get into those hard moments, is to escape hard, escape the crucible instead of going through the crucible. Yeah. The truth well, is, they don't upset anybody along the way is the other is the other issue. You know, we, they don't want to upset anyone along the way. Yeah. And as a leader, if you've been a leader for the day, then you've probably already upset you've already upset someone, or you're yeah. most likely not leading. Because a leader is going to go a direction that they deem is the right one. And you're going to have people that don't necessarily agree. Leaders take a stand and often it's an unpopular one. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's exactly right. And so I think it's, I think that it goes back to, for me, is the Zig Ziglar thing is if you help enough people get what they want, you'll get what you want. Is it starts with, what do you want? Like, really, like, what, what are you, what is your behavior, your thoughts, your attitudes, your mindset? say you choose to get out of this thing called life and nonprofits, the same as a for-profit. It doesn't make a difference. What do you want and be okay with that? Be secure. I, I don't know, Jesse, the whole subject of wanting and desire. Why, what, you know, if I said, Jesse, do you want, do you like chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream? Which would you choose? Uh, vanilla. Okay. Why, why'd you choose vanilla? It's one of my favorite flavors. So you're telling me your preference choice chose vanilla. You didn't choose it. I suppose you're correct. Yes. 
So here's the thing. That's the way most people live life. Your preferences are making choices and you're not even sure why you want what you want. You just said vanilla because your preference. I yeah. think many people in business and in life are choosing stuff because they just prefer something. Now your preferences are making choices. And my, my challenge is my preferences could get me into trouble, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of trouble. <laughs> and so yeah. I've got to, number one, I think, Drew, if I'm going to break this down systematically is I need to get clear on what I choose and what I want and be okay with that. It does not everybody else. And then number two, every day, wake up, look for people who want what I want as badly as I want it. Yes. And, yeah, and I think, honestly, if I want to solve big problems, there's a lot of people who want the solution to my big problems. And so if I could get a lot of people who want what I produce, bah, then that's the path to impacting the world. Right. Exactly. At right. least that's what I think today. Probably next week when we do this podcast, I'll have a totally different belief system because my preference is to change things up. So oh, I think that I had a coach tell me one time that the fastest way to fail is to not know what you want. There was yeah. a uh, there was one wow. point where I had a I say had that a again. I'm sorry. Say that again. The fastest way to fail is to not know what you want. Um, I'll figure out, I'll figure out who told that to me and I'll, and, and, it was and I'll me. find them. It was me. It was probably Lucas. It was Lucas. It was Lucas. No, it wasn't me. But, <laughs> but I had a goal at one point. I wanted to make $365,000 in a year because I thought that making a thousand dollars a day was sexy. And I had no idea what I was going to do with that money. So the goal was so arbitrary, so fast that when the job got a little bit hard, I was like, mm. No, no, thank you. Because yeah. I had no clue what I want. And yeah, failed really, really quickly at that one. Well, it's like that. There's that scene. If you've ever seen the, the movie, The Notebook. Um, oh, Drew, of- I am revoking your man card, buddy. It's one of my <laughs> wife's favorites. That's one of my. I'm revoking your man card. You just did a notebook. You just don't say that on a podcast. Uh, uh, now, see, see, shame, shame right there. <laughs> I just told him shame on you. Everyone, everyone witnessed. Hey. You heard it. I'm I'm half <laughs> Korean, man. I grew the up on shame. Was so. just rolled up, and my nose is now sore. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my wife's one of my wife's favorite movies is The Notebook, and so I've been, you know, I've I've absolutely been forced <laughs> to watch it. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And there's this this famous scene between the two lead characters of the 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 gentleman, you know, passionately arguing with his girlfriend of what do you want? To which she has no reply. So he repeats again. What do you want? What do you want? It's not that hard. What do you want? And if if you don't know, you, you probably shouldn't take a step forward until you do. I think that this this is I think this is the maturation of life, maturation of leadership. Get clear with what you want, be present with it. Be clear who your end customer, what problem are you trying to solve? What's your end customer? What's the issue you're trying to solve for them to make their life a little bit easier and better? And it's interesting. I put that on the leader verse, that question. I, I was very surprised at some of the responses on that. I don't know if you followed that, but it was like, what problem do you choose to solve? And they're like, oh, I, and they got really esoteric about it. It's like, I don't want to solve problems, you know, and there's this. Like, it's really weird. It's like, I don't see problems. I only see opportunities. I'm like, well, you would have screwed up Apollo 13. Houston, we have an opportunity. doesn't work. Houston, <laughs> we have a problem works. And so it's it's like people are all sorts of, it's like, no, I want to solve the problem that people are lonely. Let's solve that problem. 
I want to solve a problem that people are financially stressed. Let's solve that problem. I want to solve the problem that bad people have a lot of money. Good people don't have enough of it. Let's go take it out of the bad people's hands, put it in the good people's hands, right? It's what problem do we want to solve? And then surround myself with people who want to solve the same problem. And yeah, that's interesting that um, the responses, the responses to that, because that's part of your value in the marketplace, what problem you're solving. It's not your entire value, but when, when you're looking for your value proposition, the problem that you solve is a huge piece of it. So yeah, you, I think we, we could work on defining that for sure. What prompted that conversation was yesterday when I think, correct me if the statistic is like 55% of America's workforce today, and this may be global, but I'm gonna stick with the US that 55% of the workforce today uh, is in a role that they're not permanently attached to. In other words, if another or a better offer came along, they would jump ship in a heartbeat. I'm out. So, you know, their true commitment to where they're going and why they're going there, it's just a day-to-day because often that's what they did yesterday. And I'll keep doing this and I'll keep going in this direction until a better offer comes around. That's like, that's like dating. It's like, all right, well, hey, we'll go together for a while. Sure, we'll go out on dates. All right, we might as well stay together. You know, maybe we maybe will even get engaged. But you know what? I'm only doing this until a better option comes available. Probably not the best dating recipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you might want to get really clear on your values, what you value in other people, what, you know, the more clear you are on that, the more likely you're going to have a successful end result versus just generically running towards the swipe left, swipe right approach, which I have no idea what either of them means. So somebody that's dating. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a lot like lead generation. It's a, it's, it, it's a slog. If you want to, if you want to <laughs> go about dating in that way, it's a, it's work. <laughs> but it was, it was yesterday's conversation that if that many people are in a workforce that are not attached to the end result, and then, then that means to me, they're not really clear on who they're serving. So you may have a lot of people in your organization that you're working to serve, servant leadership. That's the buzzword, right? That you're working to serve who don't have the same intentions of who they're working to serve. And if you help them get what you, they want so you can get what you want, I think you've become confused. Yeah. And now in, in exchange, they'll get what they want, but you won't. Yeah. And you'll have people that periodically they leave their organization and then you feel like you were betrayed. And I, and I see leaders this way of my people left. I've had retention issues. I've had challenges. I did everything for this person. And then they left me. And often they're leaving with resentment. They're leaving in anger. There's leaving in frustration. There's a damaged relationship. There's a grieving process all because I was, I wanted to give them everything. You've lost sight of who you're truly serving. And we get clear on our goals. We get clear on our direction. We get clear on where we're heading. And then as leaders, we invite people to come along the journey with us. And if they'll do that, then they can have everything that they want as well. If they want other things that oppose our end game, yeah, we probably shouldn't be in business. We have different values. Agree. When I see leaders really upset that they've had people leave their organization and they feel hurt and they feel betrayed and they feel like they what they've done is wrong, maybe it was, 
there's learning opportunities there, I'm sure. But what I really think happens, though, is you forget who you're actually serving. You serve your end customer. You help enough people in the customer base get what they want. You've got it all figured out. And you invite people in your organization to partner with you along the journey. And if there's enough profit, everyone gets to live an experiential big life. Yeah. And if we're going to go into business together, hey, I'm going to invite you for the chance to do that. And if you leave, I guess that's not what you really wanted anyway. Okay. I wish you, I wish you well. Wish go you find well. what it is that you really want. 